It is with the heaviest of hearts that I stand before the women and the girls of South Africa this evening to talk about another pandemic that is raging in our country. The killing of women and children by the men of our country. As a man, as a husband, and as a father to daughters, I am appalled at what is no less than a war that is being waged against the women and the children of our country. In June last year, President Cyril Ramaphosa declared gender-based violence the second pandemic facing the country. He has called it not just a national issue, but a human rights issue. Yet Women's Month has again been marred by brutal cases of gender-based violence making the headlines. Just recently, University of Forte law student Nosiklelo Mtebene was murdered. Her boyfriend confessed to killing her and then dismembering her body. I'm Catherine Rice, journalist for News24's Multimedia Department, and this is The Story. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. We're now joined by News24 journalist Malibongwe Diamani, who is covering the recent horrific case of the murder of Nosi Klelo in Tabeni. Malibongwe, what do we know about her last moments and the man responsible? The man responsible for this brutal murder is Aluta Basile. Um, he is an employee of a well-known uh, funeral home and he was residing um, in this uh, 10-roomed uh, commune house with Nositaelo uh, since December 2020. And what we have gathered uh, from the caretaker of the house is that Nositaelo stayed with the accused uh, for several months before disappearing for two months. Assumably that he, she went home to Matatiel uh, here in the Eastern Cape. And on the day she returned, that is when a huge fight uh, erupted between these two lovers, between the couple, Basile and Nosicaelo. And we've also been informed by the caretaker of the place, uh, Ms. Pumia Zagwabe, that tenants had heard a commotion coming from that particular room where the couple uh, uh, resided. But no one bothered, you know, to, 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 to check, to knock on the door or to ask if everything was fine. And actually, the SRC of the University of Forte, where Nositaelo uh, was doing her final uh, year in law, slammed the, the tenants uh, for their carelessness, you know, saying that even a simple knock would have made a difference. Malibongwe, have there been protests? Um, what was your sense from the community and, and what do they want to see happen? There was a massive turnout at the East London Magistrates Court on Monday where Aluta Basile, the accused, um, appeared for, for the murder of Mtebini. He abandoned bail. He also abandoned uh, his right to legal representation. Uh, one would assume he fears the community 
uh, whenever these suspects, these accused of these horrendous crimes, abandon bail, usually they fear the community. They feel that they are safe in police custody or in jail than going back to the angry community. During his appearance, more than 2,000 people were picketing outside and these people were angry. Malibongwe, when will the case be back in court? What happened on Monday, uh, Basile appeared uh, for the first time and Magistrate Anna-Marie uh, Elliott asked him if he will need a lawyer and he said no. And he also asked him um, if he will apply for bail, he abandoned bail as well. And we later heard from the NPA that actually this guy has confessed to killing um, Debeni. And the NPA also saying that they are confident about the case. It's, it's a watertight case, you know, open and shut case because the guy has confessed. So what happened on Monday, Elliot postponed the case to the 28th of September this year for further investigation. Thank you so much, Malibongwe. It's a case that we will be covering closely. Malibongwe will be providing updates on that. We're talking to researcher at the University of Johannesburg in the Humanities Department, Lisa Vetten. Lisa, how widespread is this problem and what impact has the COVID-19 pandemic had? Gender-based violence is very widespread in South Africa and has been so for very many decades. It's reached its peak in the 1990s and has declined somewhat since then. Um, you know, for instance, we're seeing about half the number of women being murdered now than were being murdered in the 1990s. But that seems to be the best we're able to do. Um, so it's a problem that isn't getting dramatically better, but it isn't getting dramatically worse. It's a stagnant, entrenched, fixed problem that it seems you've gotten stuck in trying to address and um, reduce. And I think when it comes to looking at what happened during the lockdown, the lockdown seems to have had two effects. The one was to reduce women's access to services. So for those who are experiencing violence in the ways they always had, they had less access and less help to be able to deal with it during the lockdown. And there is some suggestion that in parts of the country, it may well have increased. Um, possibly not as much as what you can describe as a second pandemic, but there are certainly signs that in parts of the country, it was a modest increase. And you can see this in um, hospital data for admission for physical assaults. And you can see this in some shelters. In some urban provinces like uh, Gauteng, for example, some shelters did become full. And that was the case in parts of KwaZulu-Natal as well. But in provinces like Western Cape, and particularly once you move into more rural areas, then one saw shelters that were not constantly full and often had space. So it presented a mixed and complicated picture of the lockdown. This year we saw the launch of the private sector gender-based violence and femicide response fund. What are some of the things government and the private sector are doing in order to combat this scourge? As far as I know, the um, gender-based violence response fund one has started to try uh, has started to kick off some of, some of its efforts by focusing on looking at how it can address the backlog of DNA analysis at the police's forensic laboratories. So that could be important in helping to address one very particular specific problem. But you know the problems run much deeper than that and they've been they'd be and then and they're not necessary it's not possible necessarily to de-link them. 
from the broader problems in government around budgeting and expenditure. And of course, the much bigger problem, which is that South Africa's economy is in pretty bad shape after um, the lockdown, which obviously still continues and still has an effect on the economy. So I think one of the areas where we see um, a real impact is, for instance, in relation to services to to uh, violence against women, ranging from shelters to post-rape care, through to counselling, through to the everyday support and assistance that women need to be able to move on and lead lives free of violence, as well as to run programmes that address um, those who may be at risk of violence. And we, those services, especially when they're being provided by NGOs, have never been adequately funded. Lisa, Women's Month happens every year, but it certainly doesn't seem to stop the devastating headlines we see almost every day. Is it even worth having such a campaign? You know, it always amazes me that people think something like Women's Month is going to have any kind of difference. All the 16 days. Usually, as a general rule, men who hurt and harm women don't particularly like them or have difficulties with them. So why people imagine that Women's Month is going to make those men stop and say, well, for 30 days, I'm going to behave myself, and then in September, I'm going to go back to the way I was. I've never really quite understood that. So the assumption that it's going to, in some ways, reduce violence is, I think, it's well intentioned, but it's deeply misplaced. And so I think things like Women's Month, you know, you could be using in a, diver- in, in a range of different ways, which could be to recognize and acknowledge the contributions that women make to the economy, to our society, to sciences, those kinds of things. I think it is important to acknowledge and recognize women. And we should not always only focus on what is awful and distressing and destructive in in women's lives. Otherwise, I think we create the impression that being a woman is an unmitigated horror show. The level of violence against women, though, is so brutal. What does that stem from, and what causes what appears to be intense hatred of women? If you want to look at the psychology, if you want to try and understand this through something about the psychology of murder, I think it's really well recognised that where somebody has strong feelings about their victim there will generally be a great deal of brutality or violence involved because unlike an assassination, which to which there is usually no feeling attached whatsoever between the victim and the perpetrator, there is often a great deal of feeling between a male partner and his female and his female partner. So often in those kinds of murders, what is dry, what what is what is what may be driving the perpetrated at that point in time are intense feelings of hatred, rage and anger and that's going to show and express itself in the kind of violence that is being used. So often we see these very high profile cases like for example the, the recent case of Nosikelo in Tibeni and they trigger protests and, and public outrage. Does that ever make a difference? Do, do we ever see change really coming out of those very high profile cases? You know the kind of change that protests seem to trigger is to start new organizations or um, start campaigns. But whether or not it changes behavior is a much more difficult question to answer. And I think the challenge for us as South Africans is to stop resorting, is, is to stop confining our responses purely to outrage. Because you need to move beyond outrage in order to be able to think about something, in order to be able to plan and to be able to 
Continue action over the long term. These are deeply entrenched problems. They are not fixed immediately. So you need to keep on doing things over a long period of time before anything will change. I think the other challenge to us is to stop thinking that call-out culture or protest or saying stop, enough is enough, is actually going to change the behavior of those who are feeling angry, who are angry, hostile, and alienated and vengeful and resentful and whatever else um, may have prompted the murder at that or, or the act, a violent act at that point in time. Too often, I think a lot of the messaging that we put out, for want of a better way of putting it, is messaging that we would like to hear. It doesn't actually go out and test what it is that those who do this would be responsive to. So I think we often fall into the trap of, for want of a better way of putting it, preaching to a converted. Well, thank you so much for your time. We clearly have a very long road ahead of us. Thank you so much. That's all we have for this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Alyosha Kolstock.